You are listening to the Happier at Work podcast, and I'm your host, Aoife O'Brien. This is the podcast for HR and business leaders. We talk about things like leadership, well-being at work, diversity and inclusion, and the future of work. I've coached over 200 CEOs and C-suite leaders. And one of the first things I would always say is don't ever give yourself the luxury of a bad day. Like that's a luxury. You have to show up every day. Everyone's looking. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of the Happier at Work podcast. My guest today, I met through one of my former guests, Dan Norenberg, introduced me to Bonnie Hageman and we had a wonderful discussion all about leadership and I invited Bonnie to be part of the podcast. Bonnie is the CEO of EDA, which is an established global human capital brand with marquee clients and access to top of the house. Since 1982, EDA has been in the business of ensuring their clients' talent is their competitive advantage, which historically they have done through premium executive development tied to strategy. But since 2012, they've also been in the tech lab. Today, they have an all new premium SAAS SaaS and AI technology platform called SurveySaurus that is designed to make culture visible to the leaders, the board, the investors and potential employees by providing a one-stop shop for all enterprise-wide surveys for employees and customers. Bonnie has a deep expertise in leadership from every angle. She has founded and led companies, led and outsourced functions for large corporations and coached and advised over 200 CEOs and senior leaders on leadership, strategy and culture. Boards and leaders engage her and her company to create compelling cultures that last, develop top of the house talent, increase employee connectedness and to work through both general and highly contentious leadership issues. Bonnie is also a published author and well-known leadership strategist who advises public and large company CEOs and is often called upon as a leadership subject matter expert for the media, including Fast Company, The Wall Street Journal, CNN, US News and World Report and many more. You are going to so enjoy my conversation with Bonnie today. We are talking all about visionary leadership on the podcast today. As always, do stay tuned till the end. I will do a wrap up and a synopsis of the key points that we talk about on the podcast today. I would love to know what your thoughts are. Have you implemented any changes? Please feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. You will find me on Aoife O'Brien on LinkedIn or happieratwork.ie on Instagram. Welcome, Bonnie, to the Happier at Work podcast. I'm absolutely delighted to have you with me today. Uh, We actually connected through a previous guest of the podcast, Dan Norenberg, and he connected us. We had a wonderful conversation during the summer um, and I appeared on your podcast last week. As we're discussing now, we recorded it last week and I'm so excited to have you on my podcast today. Would you like to introduce yourself to listeners, give a little bit of flavour of your history and how you got to where you are today? Yes, love to. Thank you so much for having me. I am thrilled to be here and thrilled to work with you again. So I'm looking forward to having you on, um, getting you out there in the public on my podcast as well. So I am Bonnie Hageman. I'm the CEO of EDA, 
We are a human capital and tech firm, and we've actually been in business since 1982. So we're not a startup. We were founded by uh, the chief learning officer at Xerox. And wow. he left, his name was Jim Bolt. He left there to start EDA, which uh, was originally named Executive Development Associates. And we've been doing top of the house, custom executive development, C-suite coaching, um, board work, all of that since the early 80s. And we also do something that not a lot of people know that are not in the executive development world, but we do trends in executive development research. And that is used all over the world by companies as a benchmark report to check how they're doing and also to look at what the trends are, what's coming. Um, so we're we're really into watching, you know, the landscape and working with companies to figure out what we need in our leaders in, in the next two to three years and how do we prepare them. So, you know, the landscape shifts so quickly, we don't have to go out 10 years, we just have to go out a few years. That's so interesting, especially speaking to someone like me with a research background, I'm total research and data nerd. I love watching out for those kind of trends and things. It's really interesting as well what you say that it's kind of like two to three years out rather than waiting 10 years for something to come down the line. And maybe we start there. Like, what are the big trends that you're seeing, especially with COVID? Like, what are the big trends that you're seeing that are happening already in at that level? Yes, and that's a great place to start because um, so that we have the trends available. If your listeners would like to get the summary of that, it's you can purchase the whole trends report on Amazon, but um, you just search my name, Bonnie Hageman, you'll find it there. And then, um, it, we, but we'll have, be happy to give you a summary and that's no charge. And so basically what the big trends are, well, well let me back up. We intentionally bumped up the research and did it in the during COVID. Yeah. So we were we thought we've got we have to capture what's that going makes total on sense. and what this yeah. is going to have what mm. impact this is going to have. So um, what we learned is that for one thing, we really have to stop and think more. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, not you know, during COVID, we had to act. Yeah. But. What we learned is that that was sort of uh, one of our uh, top researchers said, you know, the sim of all sims. Her name is Tracy Clayton, and she's our head of executive development. And she said, you know, sim of all sims, meaning simulation of all simulations, although it wasn't a simulation. At least yeah. We don't think it was a simulation, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> but um, anyway, what she said is, you know, like when we're trying to develop people, sometimes we'll do simulated activities to in a safe place for them to learn. So we might uh, create a whole simulation, like for example, let's say we're working with Walmart and we wanted to uh, practice opening a new country. So we're gonna practice going into China and we're gonna do that in a simulated environment and practice it based on what we know from opening in other countries, which probably wouldn't work in China, but you know, we, we try, we do the yeah. best we can. Yeah. So you try to simulate what you think is going to happen. Yeah, And so um, in a simulation, at the end of it, you can look at your leaders and say, okay, what did we learn? Yeah. What did we learn about their skills, their capabilities, the way they think, you know, all of those things. And so you learn a lot from that experience and then you know how to help your leaders develop. So by calling it the sim of all sims, what she was saying is, hey, let's stop now. Let's take a look at what we learned. Yeah. Like now we can really, we really got to see what we have. 
And what a great time to evaluate our leaders and say, and not evaluate them like, oh my God, you know, like they're not working. That's yeah, not what we're, yeah, saying. Yeah. we're saying that what a great time to figure out what they need. Yeah. And yeah. to help them to develop into uh, what the company needs. And, and, you know, in some cases, of course, it did reveal that they might not be the right fit. But in most cases, we just learned that we have some gaps. And what would you say then are the, the biggest gaps that were identified from the trends? Well, we, we continue to see this visionary leadership. We continue to see empowerment um, being an issue. Uh, we focus on some of those critical thinking pieces, that higher level uh, cognitive readiness is what we call it, which is it's when you get beyond basics. So basic critical thinking, for example, is when you can put a spreadsheet on the wall, throw a problem at it and start working through it in a systematic way. Yeah. Right. It was working and now it isn't. So we have, you know, a divergent. But uh, cognitive readiness is beyond basic. And what that is, is when there is no right answer, that the questions are coming so fast, you can hardly keep up. Yeah. And, and the stakes are high. You know, that maybe maybe it's going to cost, you know, $40 million. And then you have a team of lawyers looking at it for years if you don't get it right. Yeah. And so, you know, it's cognitive readiness means you have to be preparing mentally mm. and you have to be mentally strong and you have to be mentally resilient. And all of those things require us doing the work ahead of time in order to be ready. That makes total sense. And especially in light of COVID and in light of what has just happened, like it has had a huge impact on people from a mental health perspective, from a personal perspective, from a business perspective, like there's been this huge, huge impact. And I think it's kind of bringing this concept of resilience to the fore, but it's not something that we necessarily had planned for in advance. So I'd love to get your thoughts on preparing for that sense of mental toughness and how people can actually do that. How can people prepare for that kind of thing in advance? Yeah. So, uh, you know, there are lots of ways to prepare. One of the things to do is, you know, you, you have to set your mindset, for example, that I'm, I'm not going to be weak. I'm going to be a leader. I'm going to be the kind of person who steps in the gap when there is one. And so mindset is probably the first and primary thing. You know, a lot of people um, don't, don't do discipline on their mindset as mm. much as they do other areas. Yeah. And that's probably backwards from what we should do. Yes. Yeah, yeah. You know, choosing how we do our mindset is critical. And, you know, I choose, for example, that... Um, Every day, I will get up and bring my A game. Yeah. Regardless of how I feel. Yeah. Um, every day, I will show up and give 100% effort. So I don't give myself the luxury of a bad day. And that's one of the first things I do when I'm coaching. Now, I've coached, I'm retiring from coaching. Uh, we have lots of great coaches, other people can do it. But um, I've coached over 200 CEOs and C-suite leaders. And the, one of the first things I would always say is don't ever give yourself the luxury of a bad day. Like that's a luxury. You have to show up every day. Everyone's looking. <laughs> and so, you, you know, they need you to show up. Doesn't mean we don't want you to be fake. That's not what I'm saying. 
I, I'm not a fake kind of a person. I'm very, you know, that's one of the comments people make about me. I'm very genuine, but um, I just don't let myself show up that way. I show up as a leader that says, you know, hey, I may not know the answer, but we're going to figure it out. We're going to figure it out together. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I mean, that makes total sense. And for me, mindset, definitely, it's hugely, hugely important. My coaching background, it's, I suppose it's something I've learned over the last maybe four or five years, the importance of that mindset. And I love this idea of having a choice. And when I talk about imposter syndrome, I always talk about, well, you have a choice here. You can listen to what that voice is saying that is trying to prevent you, trying to help you in some way, but it's trying to protect you from danger but it's keeping you stuck where you are, but you have a choice as to whether to listen to that or whether to listen to it and take action anyway. And so I love this idea of not having the luxury of a bad day and um, choosing how we think. And it's about this idea of discipline. And, and I know certainly at the start of the pandemic, when I was speaking with leaders about these kinds of topics and resilience, like the kind of things I, I shared with them would be around discipline versus self-compassion and finding that balance. Sometimes we're too we show ourselves too much self-compassion that we're actually letting ourselves away with having exactly as I say the luxury of a bad day versus being sometimes too a little bit too disciplined but I, I I do like this idea of showing up in an authentic way but but as that leader as that strong leader and bringing your a game absolutely you know people need leadership they need yeah yeah and, and, you know there's there's other things we've learned in the in the pandemic. And I do want to share a few more of the trends too. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, but another thing that I think became really clear during the pandemic is we're herd animals. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and I don't mean that, and I, I don't want to offend anybody religious. I have, I have faith background. Um, I'm not, I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about evolution or any of that. What I'm talking about is we need each other. Yeah. 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 And we are herd animals in that we feel safer in the group. Yeah. And when uh, we, you know, when people talk about fight or flight in our limbic brain system, it's when we are afraid, usually we don't feel like we've stepped out of the herd. Yeah. And we're feeling vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So that's why it's, leadership is hard. Visionary leadership is hard because you have to step out of the herd. Yeah. And it causes our it causes our brain to start screaming. <laughs> <laughs> get back, get back. It's this like what's popping up for me as you talk about that is is this idea of belonging, you know, and wanting to belong. And and we're social creatures. We want to be associated with other human beings. And exactly as you're describing, if you want to be a visionary leader, you're you're taking that step, which sets you apart from other people. Now in the title, I would assume that the idea being that you want to have other people following you because you're setting this clear vision. And but to take that initial step, I think, is is probably quite difficult. Do you want to share a little bit more about that or will we talk about some of the other trends? Yeah, well, both. I can do both. So, you know, visionary leadership, what's it? Of course, you I mean, it's not leadership if no one's following. Yes. So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, so the, like with a CEO, what I, what I tell them is, and, and we have a book about this, by the way, it's called Leading with Vision. It came out in 2017. And so, uh, but still has uh, great info about this. So what it talks, what we learned in this process of studying this is that the CEO has to set the vision at a high level and we call it half baking it. Yeah. 
right? You have to half bake it. Mm. So you do not have to have all the answers. You shouldn't have all the answers. Don't try to give them the full plan. Come up with the, we're go- this is where we're going to lay the tracks. So I did this with my own company. So what I, what I decided back in 2012 was that we would uh, begin to build technology. Mm. And I started that initially with two companies thinking I was Elon Musk or something. And <laughs> I decided that I wasn't. And so we, we put them together. And so in 20, at the end of 2019, beginning of 2020, we said, okay, this is EDA. We've got it all in one place. And we are going to become a tech company with services instead of a service company, 100%. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so I had to set the vision. And I, and I said, you know, now we're going to take all of this human capital, knowledge, skills, experience that we have three, over three decades, and we are going to put that into the technology. We are going to help these companies. We're going to equip them. Mm. And we're going to equip them to see their culture, to be able to develop their people, to, to be able to shape their culture. And so um, that's just one of the technology products that we're is actually rolling out in February is we're going to, this one will help companies to see the culture, leaders to be able to create a conducive environment, the board members to be able to hold leadership accountable, Mm. the investors to be able to vote with their pocketbooks, and even potential employees to be able to see the culture so they can decide whether or not they want to join. Yeah. Yeah. But I had to get that the employees involved. So I said, you know, hey, here's the idea. And they have leaned in so well, like they dove in, they start figuring out with me how we're going to do this. Um, And they all feel and they all are and they know this. They know they're a part of the, the picture and they know that we're doing this together. And that's the key. You know, we, we have to help employees to see that we value them and every piece that they bring to the table and we can't do it without them. Like what what's really coming through for me is this idea of empowerment that you mentioned at the start, that it's really important to empower people to be able to live up to their full potential and setting that vision. But exactly as you described, like having it half baked so you don't have you're like, this is where we're going, but we need help in, in the processes and in the steps. And, and how do we actually get there? How do we turn this vision into a reality? Um, I'm, I'm always thinking like that there are people who are really great visionaries and setting that big picture who maybe struggle with the detail piece. And there's other people who are really great at the detail and the task oriented and minute things that need to be executed in order to turn the vision into a reality is that would you kind of agree in your experience oh, i totally agree yeah. in fact there's a there's a probably a there's a fable it might be true it might not be true <laughs> but about uh president kennedy john f kennedy going yeah. walking through nasa and talking to the janitor oh yes the yeah. janitor what what he what he was doing and he said well i'm helping put a man on the moon yeah And so that's the, that's the concept. There are still people out there who, who think um, every employee is just replaceable and that people are, you know, I can get another one for less that costs less and can do your job better. Yeah. You know? Um, So first of all, those are not leaders. They're managers. Yeah. And second, um, it was not going to work with the young generation. They're not going to work for you. 
And it just, you're never going to get the level of commitment and there, you know, what you're going to get is people that are almost, when they, I heard the other day a great term, it's like uh, hostile obedience or something like that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, okay, fine. I'll do it your way. You know, like you don't get their brains, you don't get their hearts, you don't get, and they're just waiting to get off work so they can go live the rest of their real life. I want to be a part of their real life. Uh, you know, I want, I want them to, I care about my employees. They care about me. Like we know each other and um, we're doing this life together. We might as well be friends and get to know each other. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. I mean, I suppose my whole ethos is you spend so much time at work that you want to create this happier working environment so that people individually feel fulfilled. They feel like they're being challenged. They feel like they're living their purpose in life. And from an organizational perspective, exactly that, that you don't just have, you know, I always think of this as a pair of hands. You don't just have someone's pair of hands. We move beyond that. We're not working in factories. The, the majority of workers would be knowledge-based workers. So what you want to do is engage people's brains and then engage their hearts as well. So they have that level of commitment and they want to stay in your organization. Um, Absolutely. But even if it's a factory worker, even if they're the person taking out the trash, yeah, that we need them. Yeah, we absolutely need them. Yeah. And so, I mean, if the trash needs to be taken out, we have to have someone to do it. Yes, absolutely. So, you know, yeah. and, it, you know, if you're a big company, that's a big job. Yes. And, and you know, we just have to value every person. Yeah. And I think it, the mistake is, in, is, the, is the mindset of the leader that doesn't value every person. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Yeah. I love that. Another big trend was that we were, that besides the strategic and visionary leadership, obviously the gender and racial equality is a big trend and that will continue. Yeah. Um, in fact, we've lost some ground. So we, I don't, I don't know that we've lost ground in racial equality. I think that didn't get as hit by the pandemic. It could, you know, maybe it did. I know in gender equality, we, they're calling it the she session. It, we have really taken a step back for for females, for women. Yeah. And so, um, you know, we we're, this is going to be something we're going to have to continue to put focus on going forward. And I, and I do think companies are. I think some of the bigger uh, leaders around the world are insisting. Thank goodness they're insisting. The NASDAQ, the Blackstone, you know, or BlackRock. And um, like people like Paul Pullman, who ran Unilever, you yeah. know, these people are making a huge difference because they're insisting. And we have to insist. And, you know, I was talking the other day about uh, with another person, Steve Bowman, about women. And, you know, um, I'll just throw this out there, women. We vote with our pocketbooks. If, they, if they're not going to put a person on the board, why are we shopping at their places? Yeah. If they're not going to put a woman on the board. If they're not going to mm. put diversity on their board. Why are we shopping there? Yeah. Let's stop shopping. Let's stop buying. You know, because um, we we can make a difference ourselves. But there are a lot of people doing that, and we can, we can continue to make a difference. So I think that's going to continue to be a huge trend. The other one that I think is really big, whether well, development is big, we have to develop our people. We're not going to be able to get them again if we don't develop them yeah. and empower them. I mean, this is a big part of this great resignation. Like they're not going to go unless your company has a purpose, you care about your people and you're willing to grow and develop them. They're just not going to come. They're going to go somewhere else. 
And so we want to capture the talent. But here's a big one for leaders. We need we now need leaders who can lead from crisis to crisis. We are seeing that this uh, like COVID um, and then the weathers and, you know, the, the weather keeps changing. Now the prices keep changing. Now the supply keep changing. You know, it is crisis after crisis and we see no end in sight. So, you know, we have to get good at leading from crisis to crisis mm. and we have to have leaders who can do that. Yeah. And it's hard because, you know, you get tired. I, I feel really bad for healthcare workers right now. Yeah. yeah and healthcare okay. leaders too, Yeah, because uh, they're exhausted. Yeah. And this is not, not going away. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, you know, but we have to have leaders who can do it. Yeah. And what, what skills do you think are different for a leader who excels at leading from crisis to crisis versus someone who who struggles a little bit more with that? For one, flexibility, adaptability. So this leading through change and resilience is huge. They honestly, they need to keep themselves in shape. Um, And what I mean by that is fit. You know, I'm not talking about weight or anything like that. I'm just talking about being fit, healthy, try to get yourself sleep. This is something I personally need to improve on is have enough rest. But, you know, we, we have to challenge ourselves that you can't lead from crisis to crisis if you don't take care of yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they say, you can't pour from an empty cup. So it's about looking after yourself you first before you can, you can reach out and, and look after other people. Are there any other and, trends, Bonnie, that you would like to talk about today? Well, let me, I would like to go a little deeper into this leading through change and yes. leading through from crisis to crisis, because um, one of the things we talk about is an adaptive stance. So in an adaptive stance, it's, I used to play basketball and I was a guard. And so we learned to be in a stance where I could move any direction. Yeah. And I'm always ready so that no matter where the person with the ball wanted to go, I was ready to go that way. So what I teach with leaders, and especially with this leading crisis to crisis, is we have to be in an adaptive stance. So no Mm -hmm. matter what comes at us, we're ready to pivot and go whichever direction we need to go. And so, you know, that I think is going to be crucial for leadership going forward. And there are people who do really struggle with change. Yeah. There are lots of people who struggle with change. And, I, you know, I'm just, I, I, I would encourage you to uh, reframe yourself, like put a, a new frame around change and become good at it. Yeah. Choose to be good at change. Yeah. Choose to be good at crucial conversations. You know, yes. choose to be good at doing those things that are required of leadership today. And it may be naturally hard for you, but it's it's a learnable skill. I think, the, I mean, that's one of the crucial things really, isn't it? That it is, uh, you know, most of these skills, they might not come naturally to you, but you can actually learn them and it, and you need to do what is required to operate at the level that you're at. And so if it requires having those crucial conversations, delivering constructive feedback to people, having tough, tough conversations with people, um, managing upwards, managing downwards, all of that, like if you, if you have to if that's required of the role, then you need to be able to fulfill that. Um, Absolutely. It's really interesting what you're saying about 
what's required and the so this idea like I I'm a huge believer so when you spoke about culture earlier it's about the the difference I suppose between being able to teach someone but you can't teach someone to have new values or to to behave in a new way necessarily that deviates from their natural way of behaving according to their values any kind of thoughts or insights to share on that so what I'm thinking is you have these core values and it's from my perspective much better to hire people whose values align with your own values and then you can teach them the skills that are required to perform in the role. Yes, values are a big deal. You know, in fact, we're building an assessment right now and I'm working on the values piece about that <laughs> because you do want to get into an organization that aligns with your values. Yeah. But let me just say this. If you value not changing, who should change your values? <laughs> <laughs> It's not going to work. Yes. Yeah. Going yeah. Forward in the workplace. Yeah. So, you know, there, and there are people who value that. We just yeah. want to, you know, want to have the same every day. And so, yeah. uh, I'm just going to challenge you. You're going to have that probably needs to change. But, but yeah, but you know, if you value um, authenticity or a fast pace or, you know, any of, you know, all those kinds of different values, then of course we want you to be aligned. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And and, and and I had this conversation, we had a an entire podcast episode all about values. And in the conversation, we talked about having the value of avoiding conflict. So that is one of your core values is to completely avoid any conflict that's going on, which of course does not really translate very well into the business world in, in the sense that you need to be able to have that positive conflict rather than completely shying away from conflict altogether. You need to be able to have those tough conversations, especially as you progress in your career. Absolutely. The best leaders are become really good at difficult conversations. Mm. You know, what I told myself early on when I saw how important that skill was, that I would learn to do it well. And, you know, I certainly didn't know how to do it well when I first started. Yeah. And so it, it's been a study. It will be a lifelong study. Yeah. I will, you know, continue to practice. But um, I try to be really good at having hard conversations. And the people who are really good at it often end up in their leadership positions. So I'll give you an example. We do a lot of work with boards. And the ones who can have the difficult conversations are the ones who end up being the chairs. They're the chair of the the whole board or they're the chair of the comp committee. And, you know, if if you're chair of comp committee or chair of the whole board, you're going to have to have those difficult conversations with the CEO if necessary Mm. and or senior management. And so, um, you know, I I, I run this network, which I can tell you about, too, um, of women for women on boards. And that's we encourage them, like, don't just get it on the board, get the chair position. Okay. Yeah. Brilliant. Love that. Aim, <laughs> aim high, aim for the best. Yes, keep going. Get the yes. power. Yeah. Yeah. Get in and keep going. And I ran a webinar, as mentioned before, we started recording uh, last night, three steps to overcoming imposter syndrome. And in it, one of the um, participants shared that she wanted to get to a director level within her organization. And she was having all of these things going on in her head where it's like, and this is why I can't. And I keep accepting these things and they offer me less money than I want. And I say yes anyway. And it's kind of a boundaries thing. Um, But it was really interesting to hear that. So this is what she wants, but she's actually accepting less. She's saying yes to less than what she actually wants to achieve. So it's really interesting. Um, 
just coming back, circling back to this idea of having crucial conversations. Do you have any insights or any tips that you'd like to share? You're saying it's kind of a lifelong journey for you and it's something that you're going to continue to work on. But if someone who is starting out and, and they've found themselves in a position where they have to start having those difficult conversations, like any tips on, on how to get started? Absolutely. So the first tip is read the book, Crucial Conversations. Yes, I love that book. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I met one of the authors for dinner years ago in Oklahoma City. And uh, so the, when you look up the book to make sure you get the right one, the first author is Carrie Patterson. Yeah. And so it's called Crucial Conversations, Tools for Talking When Stakes Are High. It's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, uh, just a couple of tips in that book that I use a lot are um, let that. Let me just tell you the story that's going on in my head. Okay. And, you know, and the way I say it is, can I throw it out there and we'll sort it out when it gets there? Because I don't know. You know, I'll say stuff like, I'm not sure how to say this, you know. And so, I mean, not always, but. You know, sometimes if it's really messy, I'll yeah. say it like that. And okay. Like, that works really well in like a personal relationship. Yeah. Like I need to talk to you and I don't know how to say it. Can I just throw it out there? Because then it, like, that person's like, oh, I'm going to help you get this out. Yeah. You know, <laughs> they know you need help. So, so that's a good one. And then, um, first of all, you can say almost anything you have to say and you can say it in a kind way. Um, you know, for example, let's say you have to let someone go, you know, there's no need for it to be a, you know, a mean thing, a hard thing. Like we can do this and help them get in the right place. I think like one of the things that I remember from that is it's, it's the emotion of it, isn't it? And it's like, yes. it's a really highly emotional. If you're on the receiving end of that conversation, you're going to be really, really upset and you might not have seen it coming. And, you know, it's about being empathetic, but also removing the emotion from, you know, if someone's getting upset, then it's, it's not kind of going to their level. It's, it's maintaining that level of calm and, and being empathetic towards it, but, but at the same time, taking the emotion out. Yeah. And don't be afraid to do it because, yeah. you know, it's like one of the first things I encourage people to do again, when I'm coaching is to move off their poor performers. And, it, and that doesn't mean they're a poor performer, period. That means they're not in the right job. Yeah. So, you know, I always look at people as having somewhere that they can be an A player. Yeah. And and I love nothing more than to help them find it. And it may not be with my company, but, but it doesn't have to be harsh. And I didn't know that when I first started and, you know, pr did some early on letting go of employees that I didn't do well and wish I could do that over again. But you know, in other words, I just moved them off. You know, I didn't try to help them. I, I didn't give them enough window. But um, but today, you know, I've had to move off several people who, who either were right and then we changed the company and then it wasn't right. Yeah. Or, you know, for whatever reason, just ended up was not going the right way. And we're still friends. They still follow me. You know, we still stay connected. It, it, they are in good places. This is it. And if you can have a former employee as an advocate for your company, I think, you know, you're you're winning then. Yes, yeah. I agree completely. Yeah, yes. oh, I love that. Um, Bonnie, are there any other insights you, you would like to share with us today? If you want to maybe share about the book, um, anything else that you want to share? Yes, so we have a new book, right? I told you about Leading with Vision. So yeah. that's been out for a little while. It's a great book. If you're a professor, it's a great 
leadership book and, and, you know, like for your uh, classes, because very few people, there's hardly anything out there on how to do visionary leadership. Right. Which is why we wrote it. Yeah. So, but I said, I go to the publisher right before COVID and I said, um, you know, here's a couple of ideas I have for the next book. And I really thought that they had decided they didn't want either one of them. And then they came back, uh, you know, a month later, I said, hey, it looks like maybe you're not interested. And um, I'm going to go ahead and pitch it to somebody else. And so they were like, no, no, we're interested. We've got furloughed. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Because of COVID. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so the book that we wrote is, um, it's called Courage to Advance. It just came out in North America um, on October 19th, it will come out rest of world in, on December 10th and the audible will come out December 10th and it's published by Hachette, um, under the Nicholas Brealey imprint. And this book is a store. It's, it has five leadership competencies told mm. through storytelling. Okay. Yeah. And the stories are of 36 of the women in my women execs on boards network. And, but it's not just for women, it's for men and women. The reason that we did it this way, though, is because um, we wanted, well, that's the way I pitched it, because this is a very global network. So basically, I went in 2016, I went through the Harvard Women on Boards program. Um, it's like women on board succeeding as a corporate director. And, um, and after that, about a year and a half after that, there was another class had gone through. I was like, you know, we have to formalize. We were trying to stay together informally. Yeah. And we decided we needed to formalize. And so I went to another woman, Lisa Pent. I said, Lisa, what do you think about it? Formal network. And she was like, I think it's good. Because she'd kind of been keeping us together through phone calls. And so we did it. And today we have over 200 members from 23 countries, very high level women, um, very successful, but they are not Ivy League leaders. Yeah, they there was well, yes, we have some, but most just work their butts off to get there. Yeah, and they were sent by companies or they paid themselves, and it you know this is executive education. It wasn't like your undergrad. Um, so hardworking, high level women, and we have bit women on big boards: Boeing, Nike, you know, wow. all kinds of great big boards, and um, and all over the world. But the but the stories in the book are around vulnerability, mm. courage, adaptability, sense-making, resiliency. Duh. That's the biggest, that's the biggest theme altogether. So, um, so the stories are broken up into those five categories, but it's every woman tells their highest level of achievement mm. so far. They're one of the hardest things they've ever been through on their path and how they got through it. And then they give advice directly to the reader. Brilliant. And these are amazing stories. And they, you will be inspired. Yeah. So we would, we would love for people to buy the book. We would, we would love to we give talks. I mean, it can not just be me, the women in the group, and not just the 36, but the whole 200. Yeah. You know, most of us are willing to talk and give panels and, and talk about this because we want to inspire other people. We, and we also, the publisher worked with us. We pushed to get it out as fast as possible. And the reason was because so many people were just really struggling through COVID. They yeah. needed some inspiration. Yeah. I mean, to me, it sounds like an incredible inspirational book. I love when books are 
have that human aspect to it. So it's not just about the success, uh, but it's a story of how someone got successful, but it's also the challenges that they encountered along the way. It's very human. You will you will see, like, you'll be surprised, shocked, um, heart-wrenching at times. Um, and then you're just, like, so proud of them. Yeah. And that for making it through such struggles. And, you know, what? one of the things we say right at the end of the book is, um, you know, if you're out there and you're struggling, just know that all of us, we're here cheering you on. Brilliant. I love that. I think people need more of that, especially women. You need cheerleaders around you. You don't need, you know, there's this kind of sense that some women are there to knock each other down and to tear each other down. Whereas what we really should be doing is putting our hands down and lifting other people up um, and really supporting each other. Yeah. And the men, you know, I do want to say that, you know, like I said, the book is for men and women. Yeah. And one of the reasons is because there's clear theme of discrimination. All, I would say every woman in our network has had discrimination at yeah. some level. Yeah. Whether at both, some we have, we're very diverse. So a lot of racial discrimination, a lot of uh, ethnic discrimination, and then, um, and then certainly gender discrimination. But almost every woman has also had a male who championed them. Okay. Brilliant. And so we need men and yes. we cannot do this. I mean, yeah. there's, I saw an article or something about it the other day. It's like, uh, you know, women can't do it alone. We need you. Yeah, I totally agree. I think a couple of different things popping up for me, the allyship from men and getting that support and getting men into those women's networks in organizations to to rally and to support women, but also more directly in a mentoring role and having a man as a mentor to to maybe challenge the perspective that a woman has when she's going for a promotion, when she's having difficulties in her role and um, creating boundaries, all of that kind of stuff. Like maybe a man might approach it slightly differently and can offer a new perspective around that, but also challenge to, to break beyond the limitations that oftentimes we put on ourselves. Yes. And, you know, I love the mentoring. I think I it was inadvertently mentored by doing all this coaching because I saw how they thought. Yes. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, you know, we back up way too soon. Yeah. Like, you know, if there's a man and a woman going for CEO, that man, they're going. They're going all the way. Yeah. They're gonna fight to the better end to get that job and, and you know, or positive end, I should say. Um, the women will say, oh, you know, I can work for you. You can work for me, right? I can work for you. You can work for me. No problem. The man's <laughs> like, yeah, sure. Okay. They, okay. You know, while they're loading their guns behind their back, they're like, yeah. I'm going to get that job. Yeah. And we'll, do, we'll be friends later, but first I'm going to get the job. Okay. So, you know, what I tell the women, it's like, you go get that job. Yes. And you can be friends. Yeah. And yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's, it's perseverance and it's really just believing in yourself and going for it and, and competition. Yeah. Value the competition, uh, get in the seats, then you can change it. Women lead differently and, but you can't change the way the leadership goes until you're in the seat. So, um, that's one thing. The other thing is Ben uh, can go in a second step beyond mentoring and be a champion. And a champion means I'm beyond am I challenging your thinking and and giving you ways to think differently is to reach down, grab their hand and pull them up into higher level positions yeah. and onto board seats. It's you know, or just 
telling people like this person would be great uh, on this board or great in this executive position. Yeah. And um, we have to get those. That's where I see this is my personal mission. I plan to work on this the rest of my life is to help more women get into senior executive positions and on board seats. Yeah. Because um, that we can change a lot of things from those seats. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That seems like a kind of a, a natural place to end the conversation today, Bonnie. And um, the question I ask everyone who comes on the podcast, what makes you happier at work? Well, the first thing that makes me happy at work is that my when my employees are engaged and happy like that, that makes me happy because then I know that they are doing all that they can to help us get where we are. So I'd say that's probably my number one thing. The second thing, you can't see it, but um, I happen to be sitting in my corner office, which is on my own nine acres, looking at the pond. Wow. And so having an environment, I've been, I've seen some of the most beautiful offices in the world, even recently in New York City. And I, I wouldn't trade one of them for this view I have right here. Yeah, love that. Love that approach. Um, and if people want to connect with you, if they want to find out more about the book, about the work that you do, what's the best way that they can reach out? Please uh, connect with me on LinkedIn. I love, that's the best place to connect. And I love, I will accept your connection. Come, come and join a conversation. We'd love to have you. Brilliant. Thank you so much for your time today. I so enjoyed that conversation. Thank you so much for having me. That was Bonnie Hageman speaking all about visionary leadership. And before I go on to summarize the key points that were made during the conversation, I want to remind you, I would love for you to get involved in the conversation. I always post about the podcast on LinkedIn. If we're not already connected, feel free to connect with me there and comment on the post as well. You'll find me on Aoife O'Brien, that's A-O-I-F-E O'Brien on LinkedIn. One of the first points that we discussed is that the shifts that are happening in business are happening really, really quickly at the moment. So it would reduce down to about two to three years. And what leaders need to do is stop and take time to think a little bit more. During COVID, we had to really act rather than thinking before we act but creating this safe place to learn and to take time to think and to reflect. Now is a great time to have a think about figuring out what exactly it is that you need. We spoke about visionary leadership and exactly what this means. And Bonnie said that there are two different levels, if you like. So there's the basic level, which is about systematic problem solving and critical thinking. And that's at the very basic level. And then the, the second area then is that there's really no right answer, that questions are coming fast and we need to prepare mentally for those tough decisions when they happen. We delved a little bit deeper then into ways to prepare for making these tough decisions. And the first one is about mindset. So I'm going to be a leader. I'm going to be the kind of person who insert the blank. So whatever is necessary, whatever skill is necessary in order to achieve that. We also spoke about the discipline required, and I've often spoken about discipline versus self-compassion. So there's a time and a place to be nicer to yourself. But then also, if you're committed to doing something, we need to spend a bit of time 
being committed to that and actually having the self-discipline to follow through on what it is we said we would do. Bonnie spoke about choosing to bring your A game. So giving the 100% effort, even if you really don't feel like it. So there's no luxury of having a bad day. And this is not about being fake. It's about being genuine, but still knowing that people in an organization need leadership. We're herd animals. We need each other and we feel safer within this group. We we can get this sense of belonging, but we do need to have a leader at the helm. The leader doesn't have to have all the answers, but they are a really critical part of setting the vision, seeing the culture, shaping the culture and seeing the people, making sure that they are involving employees in that through empowerment, through valuing employees as well. And it's not about seeing employees as replaceable, which I so often see with organizations. Those people are managers rather than leaders. Employees should be seen for their unique capabilities. We spoke about commitment and getting people's full commitment rather than just getting their a pair of hands, let's say. So uh, the word that we used was hostile obedience. So with hostile obedience, you don't get people's brains and their hearts. We spoke about equality as well and how this has very much been a she session. So the impact on women has been much greater during this pandemic than the impact on anyone else. And we spoke about voting with your wallets. So considering why you're shopping, where you're shopping and how to support the companies that support the things that you believe in. We spoke about the great resignation that has come up again and again on the podcast and what to do about it. And it's really about developing people. So showing people that you care, showing that what the purpose of the organization is and investing in developing your people. Leaders at the moment are leading from crisis to crisis and they need to be flexible, adaptable and be able to lead through change. They also need to have a great a great degree of resilience and it's about taking care of ourselves first as leaders. And that's nothing really more important than taking the necessary sleep and the necessary rest that you need and building those breaks throughout the day. We spoke about having an adaptive stance. So when things can go in any direction, it's about being ready to pivot and to go whichever direction we need to go in. We spoke as well about having crucial conversations. And I have read this book, Crucial Conversations, and it is one that I definitely would like to read again. The best leaders get really good at having difficult conversations. If you are in a leadership position, you need to be able to have those critical conversations. Bonnie's advice, number one, was actually to read the book. So if you haven't read the book, definitely check it out. Another recommendation is just putting it out there. So can I just say this and say it, say it from the heart, say it with empathy. The the second piece of advice around that is to be kind, be kind to people. And it's not about being nice. It's about being kind and show your intention behind the feedback that you're sharing with someone. And number three, don't be afraid to do it. So oftentimes, and I've been in this situation myself, we're afraid to actually share what it is, what's really going on for us, or it's a, it is a difficult conversation, so we shy away from it. But it's about doing the favour for someone else. If someone is not in the right position, if they're underperforming, then perhaps they're not in the right job. And by doing them a favour, they could be an A player in a different environment. 
I'll be back again next week with another solo episode of the podcast. And I would love to know what would you love to know more about when I'm covering this solo episodes of the podcast? How are you finding them so far? Would love to get your feedback. Until next week. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Happier at Work podcast. I'm delighted to have you here. If you enjoyed this podcast, I'd love if you could rate or review the podcast or share it with a friend. You'll find me on the website happieratwork.ie.